0: Welcome to Teen Talk, a podcast where Jewish teens from around the world can send in questions and we'll explore the answers right here on this platform. Visit our website, jewishteentalk.com, to send in questions for future episodes.
1: Let's get started.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to episode eight, Jewish Teen Talk. And this week, I'm going to start with a question that came in. When you read the question the other week about a teen struggling with religion and having to hide it from their parents and everyone around them, I was really, really able to relate. Unfortunately, my situation is a lot more serious since my view of Judaism has been affected by a trauma, and I don't know how to see religion or Judaism as something that is freeing and enjoyable. So I'm actually going to invite my husband onto this podcast for this week. My husband is a trauma-informed therapist and deals with addiction and trauma. And I feel that he is really um, going to do a much better job than me at responding to this question, but we'll try to do it together. So welcome, Shua.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. So what I hear the question is saying is that And I don't know anything about you, um, the questioner. But what I do hear is that there was a, a traumatic event that took place which impacted your view on religion. And the ways in which that happened is generally when either the traumatic event took place in the context of a Jewish environment such as a Jewish school or a synagogue, or the abuser was a religious person. And because the way that the brain processes trauma has to do with both a cognitive way of understanding what has happened, as well as an environmental view of what has happened, the link between the event that happened and the environment that surrounded the person at the time of the trauma are linked. Um, for example, if a person experienced a one-time, what we call a big T trauma, something that was a very traumatic event that took place, let's say an armed robbery where they thought they were going to die. And the event took place within view of a donut store. What might happen is that every time that the brain, the brain will make the connection between donut store and danger. And even though on a cognitive level, we might understand that the donut store is not dangerous, we'll experience the feelings of trauma when the when you pass by a donut store.
0: So just from what I understand you saying, that means that based on where the person is at the time of the trauma, and also what's happening to them. So the brain connects the environment that they're in. So the this place, like you said, the donut shop with the actual trauma, even if going to a donut shop or looking at a donut shop is not necessarily going to hurt the person. It's going to trigger in the brain that memory or that fear response to the actual trauma.
1: Correct. And what is the parts of the brain that have to do with, um, with trauma is mainly the amygdala, which is the um the fight, flight or freeze response. There is the the thalamus, which is the sensory part, which is all the the let's say that a person might not remember exactly what happened, but they'll remember um the smells, or they'll remember the sounds, or they might remember certain ways that things looked. And then there's the hippocampus, which is more of the emotions that are connected to the event. And so when a person experiences trauma, and keep in mind again that this is not necessarily a religious question. This is a, a, a quest this is something where a person's brain has an instinctive reaction to religion as a way of keeping the person safe. Uh, We are built to um, prioritize safety over everything else. And so when the brain makes associations, the brain and the body and the emotions all work together to prioritize any and all of these signs of trauma to keep us safe. So in terms of your question about religion and the way that that's connected to trauma and how you have trouble disengaging from it, um, I would highly recommend that you visit with a trauma-informed and religion-informed therapist who can guide you through the process of disentangling those two parts of your experience
0: can i chime in with something
1: absolutely this is your show so
0: (laughs) okay so my question is because from what i've understood when i was in therapy is that trauma is not the actual event that takes place it's Something can happen to a person and it's the unprocessed emotions that cause it to become a trauma. So the same person can go through a similar thing and they process it. I don't know, let's say someone um, abuses them, God forbid, or something happens to them and they right away get the help and they get the support and they get the therapy that they need. It doesn't necessarily become a trauma.
1: Correct. So what I mean by visiting a... Um, licensed trauma informed therapist who also has some understanding of religion is exactly that. It's the processing of the trauma so that the you know we are completely powerless over the events that take place and the body instinctive reactions that we have to them. Those things are not in our control. What we can control is becoming comfortable with ourselves. And so um, what a trauma-informed therapist who understands religion would do is would help you understand your triggers, the things that cause you to go into a fight, flight, or freeze response, and would help you to um, appreciate... That it's not necessarily about the religion, but it's about your experience and help you to process that. So just to address the end of the question, which is the idea of religion not being enjoyable, going through this process of processing the trauma and understanding what are the triggers and what are the things that cause these instinctive reactions to the traumatic event will give space for religion to become enjoyable and meaningful again.
0: Okay, thank you so much for that. Let's move on to the next question. Um, Whenever I hear about Mashiach, I get afraid. I don't want to change. All the miracles that will happen scare me and make me not ask for Mashiach, because I'd rather stick with what I know and where I'm at. Um, I just want to say that it's not the first time that I've heard this question um, from quite a few numerous teenagers and, and young adults too. Um, probably older adults too. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, it's a very good question. And the idea of change is very unsettling because we get used to a certain way of life and I have my predictability and I know that I have my home is here and my here my you know my this is there and now I hear like wow there's going to be amazing miracles and we're all going to go to Israel so here I'm not going to live on the block that I live on and I'm not going to have the friends in school like 100% the ideas that you're bringing up and the question that you have is um, really good and hopefully we'll be able to answer it to the best of our ability. So I actually when I went when I joined the 12 steps, um, which is a support group, it's, um, it started with AA with Alcoholics Anonymous. And it was two individuals that realized that the with the power of a group and a support, and not doing it alone, and um, acknowledging a higher power that can help that would help them stay sober. And so many other groups have since um, become established. There's NA, there's for narcotics, there's for all different types of addictions. So the the 12-step group that I was joining was actually Emotions Anonymous um, to help me with my own emotional issues and my own, and it really taught me a lot. And one of the things that I remember when I came into the 12 steps, which this was about 10 years ago, I was told um, it works when you work it and you're going to just become a new person and you're going to discover a new way of life and it's going to give you like a whole new perspective and all these words of new actually scared me off because my thought was, I don't want new. I don't want to become someone else you know, I'm perfectly fine with the person that I've been until now and the person that I hope to continue being. So that honestly really scared me. The idea of change, the idea that things would get better, things would be new. So I just wanted to um, validate your question and um, that, yeah, I've been there too in my own way. And um, again, you know, the, the idea of Mashiach coming and there being so much change in the world and so many miracles and everything's miraculous and is, is, um, is a good one, and I'm going to pass it on to Shua to see his thoughts.
1: What I would just add, and I think that was a really um, powerful way of describing what the issue that people are really facing when we're talking about change. Um, The only thing I would add is that I don't necessarily think that this is a religious question, It's not a theological question. It's not a religious question. It's a question of anxiety. And anxiety will come up in any situation where we lose any form of control. And the ways that people deal with anxiety is generally with avoidance. Um, The mind tells us when we're experiencing anxiety, that what we need to do is avoid the activity, the uh, place, the um, feeling when when we're talking about panic. Um, And that way we will not experience anxiety because anxiety must be avoided at all costs. And so any ideas of change, any ideas of a situation which is beyond our control will bring up anxiety. And in terms of the times of Mashiach, so um, when we're talking about a change which involves the entire world, which involves everything that we know of, by definition, it involves life as we know it completely changing. And that is a terrifying concept, even were it not to be connected to religion.
0: So I just want to jump in here for the listeners that are wondering, what's Mashiach? What's this whole concept that you're speaking about? I just want to um, refer you back to last week's episode, episode seven, where we introduced the idea. We had a question that addressed who is Mashiach and and waiting for him. And so I would encourage you to go back to last week's episode in case you're a little bit lost at this point. But um, from what Shua is saying, that the the time of Mashiach is going to be um, what we're really all yearning for, where everything is just going to be, if you think of it like everything's just going to be solved and everything's going to be good, and in a spiritual sense and also in a physical way, in every single aspect, the world is just going to be a better place in every way. And again, you know, refer back to episode seven to really get a, uh, an understanding of what we're talking about. Um, at the same time, I want to point out that the Rambam Maimonides says that there's actually two explanations of how Mashiach is going to come. So when Mashiach comes, either... The whole world is going to become a new place. The miracles are going to happen. Like they say, you know, um, when we learned about Mashiach when we were younger, we envisioned, you know, we're going to go on eagle's wings or on clouds. And I just envisioned, you know, our house being uprooted and going on a cloud. It was such a cool um, concept. Um, So either all the miracles are going to happen, you know, where the, the dead are going to be resurrected. The loved ones that we've lost that have passed on will come back. Um, and that's one way. And then the other way is that the, the times of Mashiach are going to be within nature. So it's going to be within the confines of nature, within our comfort zone. It's not going to be like all of a sudden, you know, I don't know, dinosaurs are going to be walking down the road and grazing and lambs and, and, uh, you know, it's not just going to happen right away, but the other explanation and the other, um, way that Mashiach will come is that it will be more natural. So it'll be more in our attitudes in our perspectives in the way we treat each other. And I just wanted to bring up those two, um, explanations
1: here. Just to give for those who might be wondering how can one accept change? How can one be comfortable with change and lessen the anxiety that accompanies it? Um, what we find is that the practice of mindfulness of really being present in the moment is one of the best ways um, neuroscience peer-reviewed studies have shown that the practice of being present in the moment um, is one of the best ways of resolving anxiety. And again, you know, When we're talking about depression, depression is memories or thoughts about the past that bring up sadness in a general sense. Anxiety is worries or fears about the future and panic is fear about the present and mindfulness is a great way to counteract the effects of all of those. Um, So whether you're listening to a mindfulness meditation Whether you're practicing gratitude, gratitude is a wonderful way of implementing present moment awareness, of bringing your attention to the positives and all the things that you have in your daily life, and um, or whether it's just even as you're walking, the practice of walking, feeling your feet hitting the pavement, feeling the movement of your body, feeling the breeze, um, just trying to acknowledge thoughts but not attach judgment or value to them is very, very practical way of lessening anxiety and fear.
0: And, I mean, all things considered, like, yes, there is that fear to the, ch- to the change and to those times, but I don't know, I haven't really actually spoken to God, you know, where I heard him answer this question, but I'm fairly sure from what I've learned about Mashiach is that, we're going to embrace that time. We're going to be relieved that it's here. And just to give you a little bit of hope, you know, it's going to, it's going to be amazing. And um, at the same time, um, from what Shua was saying, I wanted to share also that in my own life, I was experiencing a lot of anxiety. And when I went to my therapist, she brought up the idea of gratitude. And because she knows I'm very visual, she said to me, Bashi, when you wake up in the morning you know right when the racing thoughts start coming or the fear those emotions envision that on the bed in front of you there's two backpacks one is gratitude one is anxiety which one are you going to pick up and all I thought was that's impossible there's no way I can control this anxiety gratitude is not going to work and she said just try it so I went home and I actually spoke to my sponsor from 12 Steps and my EA sponsor from Emotions Anonymous. And she said to me, Bashi, why don't you try meditation in the morning, gratitude? And I was thinking, what will I think of? And then before I knew it, I realized we're so lucky as Jews and here on Jewish Teen Talk that we have the first prayer that a Jew says when they open their eyes, when we open our eyes, is Mode'ani, is grateful I am. Thank you, God. So I did try it and I want to say that it worked and I realized and I've realized it in different situations in my life when I'm in a place of anxiety where I'm fearing like Shua said the panic is when I'm fearing in this moment Um, when I bring in gratitude and it's proven it's scientifically proven that gratitude and anxiety cannot exist at the same time and I would suggest to try it too And um, hopefully that answered the question. Okay, so we'll go to our last question here. And this question came in. I love your podcast. My friend told me about it and I listen every Thursday. My question is about a bit of a heavy subject, but something that I question all the time. I still haven't heard an answer that answers this question. The world seems like a really scary place and getting scarier all the time. Instead of God making the world less scary, the people who worry need to work on themselves and that doesn't seem fair thanks again for answering so it's interesting because I'm taking a trip thank god for good um for a good celebration to Israel and I am experiencing a lot of fear about going to a place where I've heard about terrorist attacks, and I haven't been there actually for years. I went once in the past, and I am fearful of going to a place where, you know, people are fighting and people get hurt, and it's a pretty scary place. And as much as I know that the that Israel is the safest place and God's eyes are constantly on it, you know, from the beginning of the year till the end... I still have that fear and I'm, I'm working on it. And um, even though I logically, again, know that there's no reason to fear, I feel it. And like you said, that's where I need to work on it. But why would God make this world a scary place from the very beginning?
1: I just wanted to say thank you for Uh, take this opportunity to thank you for inviting me on the platform. I'm really enjoying uh, being here and being able to share with all of you. What comes to mind when I'm listening to this questioner and the way that they phrase the question, the basis of the question is that the world is a scary place. And there's a wonderful book written by a fellow in Alcoholics Anonymous Uh, Recovery from Alcoholism, based on his experience with the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And his name is Chuck Chamberlain, Chuck C., and he wrote a book called A New Pair of Glasses. And in this book, most of the book is recounting a conversation that he had with a priest, describing his journey through the 12 Steps and through Recovery from Alcoholism. And he was describing the way that in his life, in his recovery, nothing changed, but he changed. And the way that he looked at the world changed, and therefore, everything changed. So what that means is, is that saying that the world is a scary place is because the world feels like a very scary place. And one of the reasons that the world can feel like a very scary place is because of a focus on the scary things that are happening in the world. And I do have to tell you that, unfortunately, there are always scary things going on. At the same time, the, the same way that when... This fellow's focus changed, his reality changed, focusing on the positive things that are taking place in the world, focusing on relationships, focusing on joy and love and gratitude, the, 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 the kindnesses, just the, the joy of being alive can help to alleviate some of that fear and makes the world seem less of a scary place.
0: So I'm just going to jump in here because a lot of times I've heard people say, but if you are saying just focus on the positive and the good parts of the world, then you're going to slip into denial. And then you're denying that there is a scary reality. Like there are people that are out there that are, you know, don't want to do good to others and want to hurt others and, and, and that that exists. So what would you respond to that person say? Now, like, I'm I'm becoming the questioner.
1: Absolutely. And that's really a wonderful question. Um, so focusing on reality does not make the scary things any less scary um, and does not make the bad things that happen any less understandable or any more positive. It doesn't take away from those things. Um, What it is, is an acceptance of the world the way it is. Acceptance of the world with all of its aspects, the good and the bad. And it's a decision to focus our attention and the limited time that we have on those parts of the world that we have control over and those parts of the world that we can find gratitude in. It doesn't change the scary or bad things that happen in the world, but it's simply where we put our attention.
0: And um, I just wanted to say, like, in a practical way, like, I don't listen to the news. I know that if I listen to the news and I go on news websites, I will be terrified and I will not want to leave my house. And so... Yes, I so I'm not in denial that that terrible things are happening in the world or people are getting hurt, but I choose not to include that in my day where I know that if I hear about that now I'm, you know, it's going to create a fear that won't help me function. So I'm I'm 100% with you that it's it's yes it exists and I'm not denying it, but I'm not choosing to focus on it and to um to create that uh, sense of panic from within. So I wanted to address the second part of your question where you said, you know, the world gets like, if it's scary, we need to work on ourselves instead of God working on making this world less scary. And just to connect this question to the past one, the world is not going to have any dark is not going to experience that darkness and evil and bad or whatever exists in this world the absence of good, or if something is good and we, it's not revealed, when Mashiach comes, everything's going to be good. And evil will not exist. It will be eradicated from the earth. That's a promise when Mashiach comes.
1: And a way that you can accomplish that perspective from uh, in a therapeutic lens is to change the perspective. So in terms of the messianic era where the world will remain exactly the same, but our perception of it will change, and therefore everything will change. That ties in well with um, us viewing the world through a different pair of glasses, through a different uh, prescription. And that doesn't change what we're looking at, but it brings things, it makes things clearer, clearer. It brings a different perspective, and therefore everything changes.
0: I feel like your question is so intricate, and there's so many parts of it that I'm not surprised that you feel like this answer, you've never heard an answer yet that suffices because it's such a rich question that I feel like we could go on for hours because we can talk about why does God make scary things happen if he's capable of doing anything you know, so, and I hope that our listeners will send in questions, probably inspired from this question that you sent in. So thank you again for submitting it. And thank you again for listening to the podcast. And um, for all of our listeners out there, please send in questions anonymously, com. And if you have comments, if you have something to add, we'd love to hear from you. If you would like to be a teen who is, interviewed and who is heard on this podcast please send it in as well on jewishteentalk.com and you can write your name even and a way to end with your email and we will definitely get in touch with you to have you on this podcast um i just wanted to end off with a wonderful person in my life who's helped me through many difficult times and that's my great aunt her name is Auntie Mary, and she is, thank God, over 100 years old. And one of her, one of her many um, uh, brilliant quotes and, and brilliant um, pearls of wisdom is that she is now, thank God, still alive and well. And she tells me all the time, focus on the good people around you because there's more good people than bad people. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Shua, for joining.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It was a real pleasure.
0: And have a wonderful Shabbos, and we will be back next week.